Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Standing 8. I'm Paul Fitzgerald. I'm Brendan Bradford, standing in for Ben Damon this weekend and uh, what an opportunity to be able to pick the brains of Jeff Fennick and, and Mark Boris. How are you gentlemen? Pretty good. Yeah, we're pretty excited to have one of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs on the, on the podcast this week, so thanks for joining us Mark. You're welcome Paul. Um, let's start from the beginning. You've got a Greek father, Irish mother, brought up in Punchbowl. What was, what was that like? What were your early days like? Uh, it's funny because we're going through all this racist stuff at the moment and uh, it's an interesting thing for me to reflect on because maybe Jeff experienced the same thing, but, I mean, I, I was one of the wogs or the dagos in my school and virtually my whole area, you know, like not just the animal, there's a lot of us, but it was a bit of a divide. Um, my dad had a pretty strong accent at the time. Um, yes, yeah, funny thing is it never really bothered me that much, to be honest with you, um, and didn't seem to bother my mates very much. I mean, the school was sort of... You know, I, was, I went to school in Lakemba, um, a lot of Lebanese kids there. Um, we didn't sort of hang out together or anything like that in any particular format. Everybody sort of hung out together. But th- there was a sort of a, a pretty heavy feeling about racism, to be honest with you. So, but yeah. that's, that's the only thing I can say. Otherwise, it was a pretty stable upbringing. You know, I had a good life, had good mates, played footy, good family, um, nothing startling about it. And we didn't have much money, but I didn't know that because I thought relative to everybody else we were the same. Yeah. So overall, pretty good. You're always running away from those town hall shafts, Joe Molinari and his boys. <laughs> Joe Molinari, exactly. Well, that, that's a funny thing you say because, like, around about 15, there was this mob called the Sharps. There was the skinheads in the Sharps and there was two, like, gangs and I was in one. And uh, apparently Joe Molinari <laughs> was in another one, but I was in the Belmore Sharps. But, uh, yeah, it, but, it, like, it wasn't, like, heavy-duty gang shit, you know. I mean, it was just – It was like, fights. Yeah, yeah, fights. Yeah, fight. yeah, yeah. You go to the footy, go to Belmore Oval – the Canterbury, they weren't called the Bulldogs, then they're called the Berries, Canterbury yeah. Bankster. And, you know, you fight at the back of the goalposts, that's a bit it. And the we were the same. Like when I was in this gang called the New Down Hoods and we'd we'd go to the speedway every Friday night. We'd go, we'd jump over through the men's toilet into the ladies and get, get them for free and we'd always go through more park looking for other gangs to, to fight. Yeah. It was just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If the cop was always stopped yeah. it. Anyway, yeah. you, you go for a little while but, like, you know, it's not like what you see. Yeah. And I don't want to get the wrong impression about, like, him or me for that matter. Like, I mean, we would probably weren't doing it. My mum and dad weren't that happy about it. But uh, especially when, um, you know, Chris Murphy, you know, Chris Murphy's lawyer? Of His old man was a sergeant in Belmore. Um, and Chris went to my school. He's a few years ahead of me. But uh, um, his old man grabbed me one night and uh, he said, he said, if you don't pull your head in, he said, I'm going to tell your father. And that was the thing that sort of made me sort of, Really stop and think about. Well, hang on, shit. I don't want Dad getting upset about this. You know. Well, the one yeah. thing, one thing about the Europeans. My dad was. My dad didn't have to leave the house. But as soon as he whistled, mate, my dad whistled. We could hear him in the street, and we were at home. The one thing we were scared of our dad. And I think that's. I think that's something that we're missing today. Yeah, yeah. Is the is the authority that your parents used to have? That yeah, yeah. If you've done something wrong, you get a smack. Listen, man. I I know now. I know kids. And I've heard my kids. You can't hit me. I'll go to the police. Wow. If I, if I said that to my dad, wow, I'd be that belt would come off. I'd be black and blue. Yeah. It wasn't even a thought. Like you just would never think to speak back to your mum or dad that way. Like, and it wasn't fear; it was just sort of respect. Well, just not done. And uh, as Jeff said, like, as soon, soon as someone bring your parents into it, you know, that was I changed. I didn't change like change overnight, but I mean, I actually sort of hang on, better be careful about this, you know. Like, so yeah. And then the old Sarge knew it, you know. Um, and Murphy's old man was a pretty tough old bugger. I mean, I know he's tough on Chris and his family and uh, all the, all his kids and brothers and sisters and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that stuff doesn't exist today. Was yeah. that a uh, like a scared straight? Was that a, ch- a turning point? Because we know Jeff's story with with Pat Jarvis and 
and how that eventually turned out. Was that a, a similar story for you or were there? No, nah, my mum my mum was my mum passed away with M and D two years ago. Um and she was a pretty strong woman. Um a turning point in my life, um, to be frank with you. And it wasn't like a, a complete turn. It was a turn, but I sort of kept trying to get back the other way. But just a U turn. Just a U turn. <laughs> it was well, and it was my mum when I finished the HSC, all I wanted to do when I finished school was play for the Canterbury, for Canterbury Bankstown. You know, I, I played in all the junior rep sides and I, I just wanted to play rugby league. That's all I wanted to do and become a brickie or something because wow. I thought, well, because I thought if I work outdoors, yeah, I'll get – and brickies. That's well, well and, Mark, wait there. It's crazy. I don't know if I've, I've ever told you this, but I left school at, at 15 years of age, year, year 10, and I used to travel from St Peter's Station to Mount Druid every day. I was an apprentice bricklayer. I did a pre-apprenticeship course at Mount Druid Tech, so I was there like five, uh, four days a week or five days a week. So I did a um, – so my apprenticeship was over, like instead of doing a five-year apprenticeship – because I did the, the full year, I only had two years to do it. And so I was a bricky doer for exactly the same reason. I thought if I laid bricks, I'd strong. be stronger. Yeah, and, and I'd finish people, at three o'clock. And I would show people that I was strong too. 100%. Mm-hmm. I was the yeah, same. Well, as I'm outdoors and all my mates are doing that. They either went to, either went to work for the government, yeah. the bank, or did a, a, some sort of trade. And a bricky was the gun one because you didn't have to crawl under houses like a plumber. And you didn't have to crawl under a roof like an electrician. Yeah. And yeah, it was good have, money too. It, it was good money. You get paid. You get paid per brick. It was a dollar a brick or something. I can't remember now. It was something like that. And uh, but my mum said, "There's no way you're doing that." Yeah. Uh, so I was lucky. I'm, I did okay in the the, the high school certificate, and uh, she grabbed hold of me and she said, "Come on, you're going to go on university. You're going to be the first of this family, the migrant families. Think you're going to university." And I said, "Well, what am I going to do?" So that's where we're different. My, my, my school certificate wasn't too good at all. I didn't even go and do the test. I um, uh, made some friends of mine in the in my year um, 10 certificate um, write some answers down for me and I knew that if I got a, a special note when I made my sister write that I was in hospital <laughs> while the tests were on, then I have to do the test on my own. So I, although I, I passed, I, I got a grade three, which is acceptable, and all the I had most of the answers, so I just – Well, see, uh, the, 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 the difference <laughs> between you and me, mate, at that time is you were more clever than I was. <laughs> I mean, I just was doing – I just turned up and turned into the exam. Like uh, I actually sort of liked uh, – but don't be honest, I actually like studying. I, I enjoy the competitive nature of it. I, didn't like, I like to sort of try hard to do well. I, I didn't. I wasn't a student as such. But I like to beat everybody or try and beat everyone or I get the shits that someone beat me. That I was just a competitive in everything I did. Yeah, well, yeah. if there was no PE at school, I, I, I don't think it would have would have went a day. I love my PE teacher and I was blessed that towards the end of my career that slippery Steve Morris, he was my PE teacher. I loved being around him with rugby league because I loved rugby league. I wanted to be a rugby league player and he was somebody who, who was bigger than me at the time because I was so small. But, um, Are you I used serious? To, he was bigger? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was bigger than me. Yeah, I was, I was tiny, Mark. And um, like I said. And imagine at the time, like slippery Morris is yeah, he's tiny. tiny. Play for the roosters, the great old roosters. Yeah, how do you have two massive kids? What's unbelievable? What's and, and twins, yeah. both come out at the same time. Yeah, as wow. Poor misses. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from wanting to be a bricklayer to then studying accounting and finance. At, oh, I actually, uh, uh, my mother, my mother um, dragged me to the university to study accounting, finance, and law. So I did a, a, a I enrolled in a double degree, and uh, and I like we had no money, and I I didn't have a job. I didn't. I thought, how am I going to how am I going to live? Like. Like, where am I going to get some money to drive the car? Like, the University of New South Wales, a long way from where I lived, and uh, I had a shit old car, and uh, I didn't even know I was going to pay for petrol. And the mum said, well, what are you going to do? She, there was a copper over in the corner. She said, uh, you're going to go in there and you're going to um, get, get, like, a scholarship from the police force. Yeah, right. And uh, the, so the police were on campus. Yeah. They're trying to get young lawyers to become prosecutors. Okay. So I went up and met this 
sergeant bloke, mum took me up there and I had talked to him. He said, okay, well, you've got to come down to Surrey, those days, Surrey Hills. And I went down to Surrey Hills and uh, the, that's where you did your, you know, junior police work, whatever it is. I had to meet him down there and uh, I walked in the room and uh, he started asking questions and he said to me, I, I just thought maybe I was going to get this job in the office. Or something. He said, no, first thing you have to do is you have to walk around on the beat with a, a uniform on. Yeah. I thought, fuck, like my mates, I won't have any <laughs> mates left. Like I can't do that. And then, but it, and I'll tell you something, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I've never really said this anymore, but what, I'll say it anyway. But he, he said to me, he said, uh, and how fit are you? And I said, oh, I'm pretty fit. And he said, uh, take your shirt off. And uh, I thought that's a bit odd. Yeah. He wasn't a brother at school, was he? It, well, it, it was like that. I yeah. took my shirt off and uh, he came up to me and he, he started, t- and I said, get your effing hands off. Get, yeah. Have a sw- you have a swear on this? Of course. Yeah, yeah, I said, yeah, get course. your fucking hands off me. <clears throat> and he said, no, that's all right. He said, uh, just relax. He said, I just want to feel, feel. I said, you won't be fucking feeling me, mate. Yeah. And uh, grabbed my shirt, walked out, told my mum what happened. I said, no, mum, like he's in those days used to have a certain term for people like that and I told my mum what it was and uh, she said that's okay you don't have to do it so I could have ended up in the police force yeah, right. to be honest with you because yeah. it was just a way of earning a quid and you know become a police prosecutor or something like that it could have been a completely different course of events but because of that one person um, I then just become a, I just went and worked in my dad's factory for a few bob that's that's about all I did yeah yeah how long did you pursue the rugby league dream I just give it away it's because um you know, like the universities out of Kensington and I lived at Punchbowl, they trained at Back of Belmore Oval as another over the Back of Belmore and uh, I couldn't get to training and, and um, I played second division um, with University of New South Wales um, and we played against like Ryder Eastwood and all those sort of clubs. i never forget, do you know, remember a guy called Dougie Coleman? Do you know Dougie Coleman? Yeah, of course I know Doug Coleman. Played okay. for Newdale. Yeah, that's right. So Doug's a good mate of mine. And yeah. Dougie would be about, uh, you don't mean to say this, but he's probably about seven or eight years older than me. And uh, in those days, when you stopped playing first grade, you went and played second division. And a lot of them went and played with Ryder Eastwood. And our team played against, um, I remember the first game played for university, I was like 18. Yeah. And we played against Ryder Eastwood. And Dougie's like 28. So he's <clears> a man. I'm not a man. I'm like 18. I wasn't, in those days, you're not properly developed. And they punched the shit out of us. I mean, all yeah. those blokes used to do is they'd leave first grade, <coughs> go into the second division, and they'd just go and just eat us. Every week. Yeah. Every week. So to answer your question, I did it for about two years and then uh, my mother refused to come and watch the games because they were just bloodbaths. And we used yeah. to play at Moore Park, uh, uh, Moorfields Park up at the back there of Belmore. And uh, mum said, just give it away, you know. And Dad said, "Look, there's no point playing. Like, it's not as if you're going to make a career out of it. And you, every week is a punch up. So, I just stopped playing. And and you know, it's funny. I stopped watching the footy for a while. And you know, a lot of people know I'm on the board of the Roosters. And how'd you go from Canterbury Banks into the Sydney Roosters? Well, I stopped watching footy for ages because I moved to these suburbs. I moved to Bondi in a little shit hole in Bondi. I live in the worst place of all time. I live on top of um, uh, a bodybuilder's place uh, in Bondi Road, and uh, I just I stopped on footy and then when the Super League war started, I got shitty with Canterbury. I rang my mate Graham Hughes up. I went to school with the heaps and uh, we are in the same class and uh, rang him, I had a crack at him and I didn't talk to him for five years because so I just thought what Canterbury Banks and were doing was the wrong thing going with Murdoch on the Super League. Yeah. And uh, the Roosters were there, my mate and, Je- and Jeff's mate too, David Gingell, I'd become friends with him around the Bondi area and uh, he said, why don't you get involved with the Roosters? And that's sort of how I got involved with the Roosters. It was at the end of the Super League period. Yeah, right. 
So when did you develop your love for boxing? Was it when you were running around the streets and oh, my old man was a my old man used to do a lot of sparring um, yeah. at Newdown when he was a young bloke. I mean, I guess he probably did it for make a quit. Um, I don't know why he did it. He you know was certainly wasn't a world champion or anything. And uh, and I was always interested because my my dad's got a whole heap of brothers and they're always doing that at my grandma's house, my dad's mum's house, my yard's house, and uh, I guess. I always was interested in uh, old. They made me go to the uh, PCYC Bankstown when I was getting into trouble. Yeah. So that was the thing they made you do. Yeah. Get down the. Well, I'm. Either, you're either going to get arrested and get and go to jail, which I didn't realise you didn't go to jail, but I thought you might. Yeah. I had mates at reform school. Yeah. So I just thought, well, should I, I'm better off going down the PCYC and doing the tell me to do, and the cop is just keeping an eye on you. I can tell you, I've, I've been blessed that Mark's one of my great friends, and we'll go through that a bit later, but then. I had the opportunity to train Mark for a, a fight that he had just over a year ago and he was fighting in the – what was it, the veterans? Uh, no, I, fought, I, fought, I was fighting in the uh, um, Masters. The Masters, sorry. It yeah, was yeah. the Pan Pacific uh, Masters. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark gets down there, training his backside off, and the, you know, the one thing about this guy on my right, anything you ask him to do, he's going to push himself till, you know, till the last drop of sweat, till the last drop of breath. Anyways, I, was, I had this amazing training camp, and then we get down there and – the guy that he's supposed to, or the vision that he was supposed to fight in them, there was nobody there. So Mark was going to fight in a heavy division, but when he when he weighed in, the guy that was supposed to fight like was weighing like twelve kilos heavier than him. And Mark still wanted to fight, but um, after me sitting with Mark and just explaining that yeah, what I believed and I knew they were trying to set Mark up, that we uh, we pulled out of the fight and we we, we came back home. But we've, we've trained and since then I've been blessed to. Be really associated with Mark helping him with his boxing and trying to improve. And but I'll never forget we had a spa down at um, uh, the city gym and um, <laughs> this guy came. This is before in. I, I, I spa, This is before I fought Gary Jubilant. Yeah, yeah. In the in the you know Gary Jubilant. The yeah, 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 I yeah. fought him in the police yeah. night, and so Jeff was training me. So so I organised this guy to come and spar. So I'm trying to explain to both of us, Mark, not really are they in Jubilant spa? It was it, it wasn't as hard, but a couple. Good blows were landed and, yeah. and Mark doesn't really like <laughs> losing at anything. And the funniest thing was the guy hit Mark a couple of times and Mark's caught him with his punch and the guy's gone. So I think, Mark, as soon as Mark smelt the blood, I smelt it, Mark's <laughs> building the shit out of this poor guy. Mark, Mark, stop, you know. Not, listen, he was deaf to everything I said. This poor guy ended zone. up copping a great barrage. And, you know, yeah. anyway, it was for me just to watch him. I've, I've been blessed. I've and, we'll, and I will talk about him a bit later, but I've, I've trained Kerry Packer. I've trained these people with these amazing, successful businesses and, that, and they all train the best. Mark's out of, you know, if I, if I can mention anybody that I've trained, Mark trains as hard as anybody I've been involved with and it's been a pleasure having that association with him. But my my great association, association with Mark really came when I done um, the, the Celebrity Apprentice. I really learned what an amazing human he was because I'm I, I love. I'm, a, I'm an Alan Jones fan because I just know that when Alan Jones talks about you, it, he makes you feel like you can walk on water. And we went through this process where Mark, you know, interviewed us and talked to us all and stuff. And then he spoke about us. And I'll never forget the first day that he yeah, introduced me and stuff. It made me feel like that I was, um, you know, that I could walk on water. And I mean, I'll never forget the the impact that he had on my life then. And um, because. I'd gone through a whole heap of different things, up and downs, and to do Celebrity Apprentice, uh, it made me really find myself. It made me appreciate what I had done previously because I was able to go and raise enormous amounts of money for, for an amazing charity, Save Our Sons, and that association with Mark since then has just got stronger and stronger and our bonds got stronger and I've loved it. Mark, what did you think about our time at Celebrity Apprentice? Well, I, 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 it's, it's interesting you should say 
that, Jeff, because I mean it's one of my best memories. That that celebrity apprentice series was our most highest rated celebrity apprentice series of all time. We did uh, five, six series, five series of celebrity apprentice, one series of normal apprentice. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> I I knew Jeff would be good talent, just in terms of television, like reality television. But what's my view on the show? And this is what I said to the producers when they asked me would I do it, and, I, and it's a mate of mine, Matt, mate Jeff, Mark Fennessy asked me to do mm-hmm. it, um, yeah. and I said to Fennessy, look, I just want to, if I do this, it's got to be an Australian version of The Apprentice, not not the way Trump does it, yeah. um, an Australian version. I'm not there to put shit on people. I actually want to be there to build people up. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to go, I actually want to bring the best out of everybody, and I want everybody who watches the show to see the best in everybody. And, and that's sort of what I try to do in my life. More recently, over the last 10 years, that's how I am. I was a bit of a shithead earlier when I was younger and I was a bit ambitious and I did a lot of things I regret in business. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have the luxury now of paying forward or giving back and uh, that was a great opportunity because I wanted to be able to say to everybody about the Jeff Fennick that I knew and I want to tell everybody about the Jeff Fennick. I mean, you can pick up, pick on a couple of little things, which is what the media tends to do. Pick on a couple of things and just load you up. Just keep loading up, loading up, loading up. It's, it's happening now. Yeah. But everybody forgets the history of an individual. I mean, what they've done for the country, what the the sacrifices they had to make, and not just Jeff or everyone who came on the Celebrity Apprentice. Generally speaking, unless they're a total asshole, um, I pretty much. Wanted to bring. I didn't look after him. I just wanted to bring the best out of him. We had some huge personalities on that series. You had Jeff, John Stephenson, Dawn Roxy Jasenko, yeah, you know, a lot of different diverse. Steph Rice, who won it. Stephanie Rice, yeah, yeah. she's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Steph. She's an amazing human. I think that them, yeah, it was a you know she's just a, a great person. But it's funny. It's, today. it's funny, Jeff. She wasn't someone who was prepared to back herself though, and it's amazing. You know, like you get these celebrities. He's not one of them. You get this, and he, I don't. I, I don't. Wouldn't call Jeff a celebrity either. By the way, I, I just think he's just a great Australian and a great sportsman. Yeah, they're the two. The way I would, that's that's how I describe him. And uh, Steph is a bit of a celebrity in some respects because she sort of builds herself that way. What's amazing about them? A lot of them lack confidence, and and all I had to do was remind her of what she'd done. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when you get hammered by the media all the time, it's happened to me too. By the way, yeah. you get hammered by the media all the time. You started. Distrust yourself. Yeah, and start to question yourself. Second he cocked it pretty hard that that year, or prior to that year. Um, and what I wanted to do was to do was remind him of all the previous years. Forget about what the fucking media said that year. All yeah. the previous years. Yeah, and watch him grow. I mean, he said he felt good about what I said about him. I felt good about how he felt good. Like that's what I. That's what gets me. That's what gets me off. That's the thing I love doing, which is why I run the business as a mentor. Yeah. I'm trying to help people become the best they can be. Yeah. It's what he does when he trains me. He said, uh, he said about me that he felt like walking on water after I spoke to him, right? When you train with someone like him, you feel like you can beat anybody. Yeah. It doesn't matter. He, he makes you feel that way. Yeah. And by the way, he's, I have to tell, I have to say this, like, anybody you think you train, right? Uh, you know, you guys got personal trainers, whatever. Well, good, good luck to you in boxing, you hit the pads. I would defy any of you to be able to train more than 20 minutes with him. The intensity with which he lives his life, yep. the way he trains you. I can train harder with Jeff in 20 minutes or Jeff will train me harder in 20 minutes and it's not conscious, it just happens. I'm ab- I feel like spewing after 20 minutes. Yeah, I go with somebody else who's you know, been doing this shit forever. I can train for an hour and I'm okay, go and have a coffee, have lunch, whatever. 
So that's how he runs his life. Yeah. And I, I respect that. He has never, ever changed for anyone. Yeah. That's his go. I want to ask you a question because I brought him up just a little earlier. How did your relationship with, I, I call it the great man, Kerry Pack, how did it start, Mark? Because, I mean, I had an amazing period and a run in my life that I was his private trainer. I travelled the world with him. But to, to see um, the real Kerry Packer for me was one of the greatest. Should He should have been the the, the, the president of our country. He's the, he's, the, he's the most amazing man I've ever met. How did you meet him? What do you think of him? Uh, well, the, my first meeting, I I'd done a de- had done a deal with James for James' own 50, the family to own fifty percent of my business, and and I was going that was Wizard, that was Wizard, yeah. and um and what I did is um James said before you seal the deal you have to go and see the old man, and uh, so I had to go into his office and uh, scary, he's sitting there smoking a cigarette, uh, just staring at me and uh, didn't say a bloody word, like not 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 a sound, just stared at me, just I, I didn't even he didn't even <laughs> offer me to sit down. Just silent, just That's silent, just, just drowning in this silence. And I don't know, I don't know if it was a game, I don't know what was going on. I was I was nervous, there was a lot of money involved. Like he wasn't giving me the money, money was going into our company, his and my company, um, and we're gonna use money to build a business again. But here's Kerry Packer, and I'm in Kerry Packer's office, massive office, like it was a like a movie set, the the office. And uh, he's sitting there with his feet up on the table, smoking a cigarette, just staring at me, just staring me down. And uh, like I'd never been in that situation before. Eventually, told me to sit down, and he said to me, "How was the due diligence process? Which is a process that you go through with with all the lawyers, his lawyers." And I said, "Oh, it went on for three months. It was tiring and all the shit you do." Did you say? And yeah, he said, "Yeah, well, he said I don't care about all that stuff." He said, "I'm about to do my due diligence." He said, "Sit down." So I got three questions for you. And I thought, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> what's going to happen? Here? <laughs> what have I got to get them all right, or what's the deal? You know, and. Um, you know, he asked me three questions and there were three questions. Like when I was doing the due diligence with his accountants and his lawyers and his fucking investment bank and all that shit, um, they were asking me questions I expected them to ask me about. Like they said, okay, well, show us the projected profits and the income and the expenses and how the market will grow and how do you get go, all that shit, all that normal stuff. Kerry asked me three questions which were counter, totally counterintuitive, like completely questions I never expected anyone ever asked me. Yeah. And I didn't know the answers to them because they're not questions that I was ever trained or you ever thought. Prepared. Yeah. No, those questions. Yeah. He just threw me off, and that's what he's like. He was so good at throwing you off. Yeah. Like he threw me off the moment I walked in. I didn't know whether I should sit down or what. He just smoked and stared. Yeah. He's looking for your reaction. He yeah. didn't say much. Kerry was always a asker. He'd ask you stuff. Yeah. And he was great at asking people. He and he gathered information. Remember, he said he wanted to know about boxing. He'd say, Jeff, who was the greatest boxer of all time? Who was your greatest opponent? Who hit the hardest? I heard him used to talk to rugby, ex-rugby league players. He'd say, who was, your, who was the, you know, the toughest bloke on the field when you played New York? He Europe? always wants to know who the toughest was. He, that was his go, wasn't oh, it? Yeah. yeah. And, and he was, but he'd ask Jeff. Yeah. He'd ask the experts. He'd ask uh, Bill Gates. He was friends with Bill Gates. He'd ask Bill Clinton. He was a friend of Bill Clinton. He, wow. he, he, you know, he, was, he could ask anybody these questions. You know, he'd ask. Uh, Bruce Gingell, who's the greatest television yeah, guy, David Gingell's dad. Yeah. Like, you know, what's going on in television world? You know, he, he, and, and he would spend hours doing it. And that, my experience with him was pretty unbelievable. And I became quite close to him. Um, and during that period. And what, what's interesting to me is, um, and I guess we all suffer from this. Everybody thinks, oh, wow, he's a rich guy and super powerful and blah, blah. He didn't have that many friends. Mark, I just want to say this. The, the thing that I, oh, of course, he, he didn't have to really care who who liked him or who didn't like him, but he's so brutally honest. Like, I'll never forget, 
every time I'd bring people around him, you know, the first thing, you know, the poor people or the, the middle kind of people would say, oh, you know, money's not everything, Mr Packett's just being happy. Mate, he said, son, it's quite obvious you fucking haven't had it. <laughs> and he would just say it straight out. He said, son, it's quite obvious you fucking haven't had it. And, um, and not guys, you're not trying to put no, shit no, on No, me, no, no. It's like you go walking in the office. These guys would just shit and go, oh, did I say something wrong? No. He's just you know, giving the answer. Like, you know, money, well, he's had it and he knows exactly what it does for you. And, um, you know, like I said, um, to travel the world in Mark and the sea's generosity. And like I said, I seen him when he was hot and cranky and, and I seen him when he was, Totally the most beautiful, generous person ever. But I'll never forget, like, when a couple of times that we were in Vegas and, um, you know, to watch this man gamble, to watch him go on a blackjack tail and just totally dominate, like, yeah, just like he would play the seven hands there. He would play one or two at the start. They'd block it off for him. And then he, you know, he, he might be losing a couple of million. I'm thinking to myself, ah, oh, he's just told me to go down. He's going to show me how to play. He wants to win. All of a sudden he's losing a couple of million. I was like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm feeling terrible. I'm not even thinking of what he's worth. I'm thinking, wow, he's just lost all this money trying to show. Wow, wow. Within three minutes, his chip stacks like this. And then he just gets up and walks away. gives all these polo players 50,000 each. Gives them a couple of my friends the same kind of money. And it was just like nothing. It was, it was, it was just, for me, it was scary. It was so intimidating to watch this guy play. And man, then you would see him, the dealer. I'll never forget this dealer was a big black gentleman who was a lovely guy. And hey, he said, Chicken George, how much would you earn in a night? And he, anyway, so he's giving him 100,000. Oh, give him 100,000. Wow. And then the guy said, Listen, Mr. Packer, he said, um, this is beautiful. He put into the tip jar, but the tip jar is shared by just say there's 20 people working on that on that shift. All, all the tips going together to share it. So because Mr. Pack was thinking you're not going to have to work again, but no, well, obviously that went in the tip bucket and uh, they shared it. But I've just seen him be so generous and and help people. I, I know lots of beautiful stories about him that I don't need to tell, but um, yeah, I just I. Man, it was most probably the best year and a half of my life. I used to go to the Hyde Park Club. I used to sit there and wait for him. He never missed a day trying to mark. He might be late a couple of hours, but I'd sit there and wait, but he never missed a day. Did you buy that shit gear for him? Yeah, remember he used to get up, he'd be up awake all night and he used to buy those things on television, those uh, bloody weird. Yeah, no, I told him not to buy that stuff. Yeah, I know. He's a crazy sort of equipment that, uh, you know, that world karate champion guy who was a 2B star. Yeah, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing was always wanted to do, to, to do more, and that's what I've, I've tried to teach Mark. It's better to do less, right? It's better to have the engine just a bit underdone than burned out. And he came every day, and like I said, it was an amazing part of my life. And his son James, to this day, I love James tremendously. He's my great friend. I don't see him enough. I wish I seen him more. I wish I dared to try to help him through some of the tough times he's going through. But, but David Gingell was somebody else I met through those guys, and wow, there's only ever one David Gingell. He's such a special human. Yeah, 100%. I'm in the same gang with him, like the, the same people. James is a good friend of mine. Um, Ginge is a good friend of mine. Unfortunately, Ginge doesn't talk to James. They don't talk to each other anymore if, because they have various reasons. And another guy that Jeff probably hadn't that much of as a guy was Nick Politis. So it was me, yeah. Nick Politis, James, and Kerry and Ginge. It was a bit of a, a group thing we had. And uh, finally, I mean, it was a great year of my life, a great period of my life, but those things never last. It's it's sort of something happens, it breaks up. Ginge's gone and moved to the Byron Bay. James now lives in LA, Argentina. Um, Nick's, I still see Nick a fair bit. Um, we talk to Ginge, you know, once a week sort of thing. Um, and, and of course, Kerry passed away. But, you know, it's, I, I just want to say, I remember one time, well, I saw me Kerry not, he knew lots of people, but didn't have many people who were close to me. He rang me one day. He said, Son, you going to the footy? And um, 
Kerry was a mad rooster supporter at one stage, but then he became a South supporter. Yeah. And uh, he said, look, he said, come and pick me up. So I picked, come and picked him up his house and I got it. I drove my car up his driveway and he had these rock wheelers. He had these rock wheelers, like, I don't know, there seemed like 20 of them, but there was probably yeah. three or four of them. And I parked my car at his back door and he was standing at the back door on the port, on the step looking at me. And I've got these dogs, uh, rock wheels either side of me. My car, I'm not getting out. He said, come on, get out, you weak so-and-so. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, I don't get out. I said, get out, call your dogs off. And he said, ah, that'll be right. I got out and these dogs are just walking right behind me. And, uh, and I went, you know, I remember in the, he had the girl dog. He let the girl dog in the house and she was sitting there. She came and started sniffing my crutch and like better, but I thought she's going to bite me for sure because I didn't want to move too fast. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And he was like, he's good. fucking sat there the whole time thinking it was hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's him there. That's and him, just, yeah. he wanted to see my reaction, you know? Yeah. yeah and then yeah. one, and then, then the next week he brings him again and says, or two weeks later, the, the home game at the Roosters at the City Football Scene, because he, he had a box at the, bo- the back of yeah, the thing but, there. Yeah. And he said to me, he said, um, you, uh, you, you go to the footy again. And I said, yeah, he said, well, come pick me up. So I started every time we had a game, he'd ring, I'd go and pick him up and take him to the game. Anyway, the second game we were playing South or and he said, uh, do you want to have a bet? Jeff was just talking about how he gambles. And I said, yeah. oh, yeah, I'll back the Roosters. He said, oh, no, start or whatever. He said, um, 500. I said, oh, okay, 500. I said, okay, five hundred dollars. No, he said five hundred fucking dollars. He said five hundred thousand. I said, you're fucking joking. I said, but that's how he is. So I said five. He said, all right, right, five hundred. Anyway, I I kept winning the bets, and then I was in business with him, right? Yeah. And again, he's testing me. So we get a point, and, and we go to watch. We're watching a Canterbury match. Roosters were twenty points at half time, zero for Canterbury. He said, okay, at this stage, we're up to eighty grand. So it had been doubling every week. Have he heard yeah. you? Yeah. And he goes, all right, you got $80,000 on the on the block here. He said, uh, the Roosters are 20 ahead. He said, we'll double the bet and I'll give you the 20 start. Will you take the bet? Yeah. And we were sitting up in the in the grandstand those days. He was smoking. Of course, he's, again, he can't smoke in the stadium. He was smoking. He didn't give a shit. No one's going to say anything to Kerry Packer, I guess. And uh, I wouldn't take the bet. And not not because, because I was going to lose nothing, but – not because I didn't want to win 160 grand either, but I just didn't feel comfortable, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he was testing me because he just gave me my business $25 million and I was run, I, I was in control of $25 million. Yeah. And this is what I think anyway. Yeah. I think he was trying to work out, am I someone he can rely on with his mm-hmm. money? That's what I reckon. Yeah. Whether I was right or wrong, that's what I think all the whole time. And I always took the view, well, I'm not going to disappoint him ever. Yeah. One person I would never disappoint was Kerry Packer. If he asked me to do something, I would always do it no matter what it was. And, Mark, you spoke about Nick Politis. I mean, a lot of people don't know him, but an amazing human oh. as well, huh? what he's oh. done for the Roosters, what he's done for not just for the Roosters but some individual people that he's helped over the years. He's, yeah, oh, great, the most generous yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, great man. Nick Politis is probably the – he definitely controls the biggest car sale business in this country, you know, like the two biggest listed companies in Australia he controls through shareholding. Um, when I say control, he's the biggest shareholder. Um, but he's probably the biggest private car dealer in the world in terms of his own dealerships just around the world as well. Extraordinarily successful and wealthy. Um, does, stays out of the limelight, mm-hmm. always under the cover, like deep down. He comes from Kithero. Like uh, he's a really good family man. He's great to his family but extraordinarily generous to people who you wouldn't even know. Yeah, people go to him all the time, and he never says anything about it. I mean, all the time, literally all the time. 
and incredibly loyal. Yeah. Like uh, one of the most loyal people I met. And for what he's done for the Roosters, like he took control of East League's club and East Rugby League football club many years ago when we were just down the shitter. We were in big trouble. Yeah. And not only is the amount of money he gives the club, but it's the amount of time and effort he puts into the joint. And I would have to say, like, he got Sonny Bill Williams in. That was his idea. Like a brilliant move. Uh, he got Freddie in. Yeah. Like a brilliant move. He yeah. got Gus in. Yeah. A brilliant move. Brilliant. He, got, uh, he, he got Ricky Stewart in. Yeah. Another brilliant move. He got Trent Robinson in. Like, but, but, you, know, you would never give him Ricky Stewart a, a job as football coach. He'd never coached the first grade. Yeah, that's right. Second year, won, he won the grand final. Yeah. Trent Robinson. He was assistant coach. Uh, in 2010, um, and under Brian Smith, yep. Then he gave he, he went over to seas and uh, was at Catalans, and he brought him back. I mean, like some of the moves that he's made, Cooper Cronk, Nick Pilatus, yeah. There's some incredible um, insights into rugby league. And the Blakes haven't really played rugby league. He's a little Greek kid who grew up in the back of Brisbane somewhere, yeah. Um, but it is he, what he does for our club, and I mean, he him and Kerry. You know, Arco on those two, but him and Kerry, they led the fight against News Limited. Yeah, too right they did. They led the fight <clears throat> and and, um, and Gus too to some extent. Yeah. Um, and they allowed Rugby League to be what it is today. They were the guys who got who took Rugby League away from News Corp and put it into the NRL Commission. Now, you might have all your criticism of the NRL Commission, but still it's away from News Limited and yeah. it's into a commission. Yeah. Whether the commission works or not, it's up to the commission, but that's some great stuff there, you know. Yeah, it was that was how you got back into the game and, and involved <coughs> in the game with the Roosters as well around that through Nick Pilatus through Nick Pilatus, yeah. but around the Super League War was that yeah, well the Super League War expired in about ninety six ninety seven. What happened was Tui's were on the jersey of State of Origin on New South Wales State of Origin, and um, Wizard was just launched in ninety eight, and uh, and Tui's pulled out because of the Super League War, and um, Nick said to me, Nick Pilatus said to me, look, you, you can sponsor. He's on the board of New South Wales Rugby League. He said, you can sponsor New South Wales. He said, but you've got to go and convince Colin Love, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> who was the CEO then. Mm. And uh, and uh, we had a week before the game started. The game was going to start the next week and there was no 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 one on the jersey. So um, I, I I actually stole it and uh, stole the – not I stole it, I paid $250,000 for it, but I did a five-year deal, two fifty, one year, three fifty, second year, four fifty, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and um, I – State of State of Origin sponsor for ten years, yeah. um, and that's was yeah you're right that was my reintroduction back to rugby league in a, in a proper sense. Mark, do you think that having wisdom on the New South Wales jumpers, hundred percent, Jeff. Yeah. Look, it's, I think it's, it's an expensive. Little- oh, it was exp- expensive, expensive for us because like at that stage, Kerry hadn't wasn't a part of that. Two fifty thousand dollars came out of my pocket. That was yeah. all, all my money. You know, like and we're talking about nineteen ninety eight, big uh, beauty in ninety eight. So. Um, two hundred fifty grand. I had to draw one check for a quarter million dollars. A lot of dough. Yeah, and you know, it was thirty years ago. So that, that's a big deal. Or well, twenty two years ago. We're talking about twenty two years ago. Still a big deal. I, I drew the check, and but what Ginge was? David Ginge was a, a, a bit of a guide guiding me. He said, "Look, mate." He said, "One thing is going to happen here is you're you're going to get national broadcasts, and the wizard will be across the jersey, mm-hmm. and yeah. no one's going to know who wizard is. So the question is, they're going to say who is wizard." And he said, that's what the question was. Start searching for Wizard, yeah. Yeah, and it worked worked well, Jeff, for about three years. It paid back for three years. After that, it wasn't valuable to me, but I kept doing it because I just loved it. Loyalty, yep. And I just kept paying every year. And in the end, I I was paying 1.2 million a year. Um, So, um, but in the end, I I didn't stop it because what happened was 
I sold out to General Electric. General Electric kept going. Yep. And then General Electric um, um, sold out to Aussie Home Loans or to CBA and Aussie Home Loans. Yep. And Aussie, John Simons was in control of it, and he dropped off. He dropped the uh, Origin sponsorship in the last in the last year. What do you think Kerry Packer saw in a young Mark Boris to invest? Obviously, you're mates with James, but what do you think Kerry saw in you that made Profit. him comfortable? <laughs> Profit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, if, if you go back when I was I was forty then, right? Yeah. Like just a little bit over forty. Um. He probably saw someone who was going to have a crack at the banks. Um, I was pretty fearless. I knew my shit. So, I mean, I knew banking backwards, banking law, everything about banking, I knew it backwards. Um, I was hungry and I was going to drive it. And fearless to some extent, naive even. Yeah. You know, naivety and fearless, sort of a little bit sort of mixed, you know, like sometimes when you know too much about something, you you respect it a bit too much Yeah, and you tend to not – Overthink things. You, you don't lean into it. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like he was fearless young fighter. Sometimes it is a bit of naivety. I mean, it's not, it's not that Jeff was naive, but he leaned into it because, you know, fuck it, who cares? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, for me, I was a bit the same business. What, were, Ma- the, uh, what were the three questions he asked you that first day? Uh, the first question he asked me was uh, what business you were in. Now, I just thought that was the most ridiculous question to ever ask anybody because my company was called Wizard Home Loans. But I did think to myself – the guy's so busy and he yeah, invests in There's a trick ca- to it. Yeah, there's a trick, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and before I had a chance to say oh, home loan business, like, you know, over a second or two, he said, don't say fucking home loans. <laughs> so he, he tripped me straight. Like he took my legs from under me straight. So I thought, shit, hang on, what business am I in? Yeah. So I, all of a sudden I started thinking about what business am I in? Am I, in? I didn't know. Um, and I didn't know the answer. And he actually, he told me the answer. He said, you're in the business of people's hopes and dreams and never forget it. He said, you're not lending money. That's not what your message is. That's not what you tell people because yeah. people don't want to borrow money because they've got to pay it back. Yeah. You help them get their hopes and dreams up. That's the – that's it. I told you, no, put nobody. I had asked these, all these top lawyers doing the due diligence for him on me, top bankers, top accountants, everything. Not one person asked me that question. Yeah. And by the way, I'd never thought of the question before in my life. But he's giving you a vision. That's yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's giving you a reason to, to, to you know, to, to love what you're doing. He's, you're doing it for a reason. I mean, Correct. You know, I mean, yeah. And if you don't want to do it for that reason, people aren't going to, you're not going to, you're not going to draw people to you. Yeah. So he had, he, he made you really think, uh, you're doing it not just for yourself, you're doing it for somebody else. And if, if, if those people you're talking to and you're giving that loan can feel that, man, they, they're going to sign with you straight out. They're going to borrow that money off you. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's so 100% well articulated. Like, they're going to, and, and. I'm a smart person. Without, but because, it, because the, Kerry was about basics yeah. and taking really complicated shit and making it really easy to understand. Yeah. And then you know, he, babe, and I'll be honest with you, like, that is why I got in the home loan business. A bit like what I do, the mentor stuff, what I pay for. But I got in the home loan business because, you know what? My first experience with borrowing money was I had to go to the bank at Westpac at Miranda with my dad. And the banker wouldn't let me the money unless my dad gave a guarantee. And like, it was, I just felt like a, I felt like a. Yeah, they don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah, Forget it. And uh, so a good mate of mine is Jack Singleton and uh, John's kid. And Jack ran our advertising things. And uh, Jack said to me one day, he said, uh, I'll come up with a new logo for you. And the logo that he came up when we owned the business together with Kerry was no judgments, just home loans. And for me, that's perfect. Mm. Because yeah. everyone feels they've been judged when they went to the banks. I used to feel like I've been judged when the banks. Yeah. And and Kerry sort of opened up my mind about my purpose, what I do every day, yeah. helping people out, get yeah. that fucking home loan. And Jack actually helped me put it into words. No judgments, just home loans. You know what's interesting? You're not allowed to say it today. 
If I put that on an advertising campaign, the regulators would be all over me. They'd say, no, you're supposed to be making judgments because if you're not making judgments then you shouldn't be lending Jeff the money because you don't know whether Jeff can pay it back or not. So we don't want you to say that. So I can't say that anymore. And the okay. world's changed from wizard to where I am today in Yellow Brick Road. Totally yeah. changed. Yeah. How have your, your business and your, your sort of day-to-day life changed over the last couple of months with, with COVID and everything? Have you had to make huge adjustments and, and the way you go about that? Yeah. I wouldn't, I'd say I made a lot of small refined adjustments. I, I, I have made a huge adjustment. So I, I kept going to the office. We got a couple hundred people in our office in Sydney, in the Sydney CBD. No one came to work for la- last Tuesday was a this Tuesday was a, the first day back for everybody, and they only come back on one day a week now. So we roster everybody. So I had no one in my office from um, very early in March. It, no floors were occupied, so I went there every day on my own, um, which was a bit. I take my dog with me, and I hang, he hangs it just to keep me a bit of company. Um, I'm pretty good on my own. I don't. I'm not one of those people who I don't need to be around people. Um, but I, I have to say it started to get a bit challenging. I, I lost my routine, which is no good. I, I have a routine. I, I got to get up. Real, I mean, I get up really early in the morning. I got to go and train, mm-hmm. and then they got to eat, eat something, coffee or something. And then I got, then go to work. And then all of a sudden, I stopped doing that. And then I found myself. And then more lately, recently, I've sort of been reaching out to him because I'm getting desperate. You know, like sort of like I need to see somebody. I've come over here. I've come over, been, been over here half a dozen times last month or so. What about Mark being the Robert Redford of the of the home loans? I I hear that ladies used to just come and sit down just to talk to you. They didn't really want to loan. They, they just wanted to talk to you. What, what's that like, mate? What do you mean? Well, I mean, like, you know, well, yeah, you mean, know exactly what I mean. You know, having these beautiful ladies just walk in and pretend they want a home and they really just want to speak and see Mark Boris. Um, well, yeah, that sort of thing did happen a little bit. I mean, I, I mean, like, it, it, I, I would say honestly, I would say the wizard. Um, journey for me resulted in my divorce, not because of another woman, but be, it just the pressure well, puts on it wasn't because another man. No, it wasn't because another man either. Right. But it, 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 the pressure puts on your wife by being really well known and being successful yeah. and working long hours. I mean, like, I guess say someone like Jeff, like, you know, to be successful and then be travelling around the world. Which I travelled a lot around the world to raise money. We raised all the money overseas um, to lend. Um, you're always away. Um, you know, they think, oh, shit, he's probably up to no good. You know, what's he doing? Like, it's natural. And yeah. uh, that puts a lot of pressure on your relationship. And how dare them think that? No, it's natural. It's no, no, I, I, how I, dare them think that? About me or you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and it puts pressure on then you. Then you respond and you have a crack. And, and in the end, it's, it, it, there's not many marriages that would last what I went through. Yeah. I don't think anyway. I mean, either that or I'm just a shit husband like uh you know, and I had three great kids out of that particular marriage, mm-hmm. but I've been married a few times, um, three, um, and I've got four kids um, and maybe – and I've probably learned my lesson a little bit, to be honest with you. Like um, I've, got to, I've got to be more respectful to the feelings of my partner. I think you're starting to learn that now. Yeah. Since you've been hanging around with Joe Molinari, he's really yeah, got yeah, Joe Come Molinari. on, He's giving you some good tips, Mark. Yeah, well, Joe's a genius. He's, yeah. got, he's got no one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't have. He lives on his own like yeah. a hermit. Yeah. Well, he's got a couple of dogs too. Every, he gets them every couple of days. Yeah, he, he borrows them yeah. from his ex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who got everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know. But, I mean, it's, it just, it, being successful, I think, would place an enormous toll on your relationships, all your relationships. Yeah. Uh, big time. 
And it, it certainly did in my case anyway. Because I just throw myself into it. Like I, I don't think about anything else. I mean, I get home at 11 o'clock at night. I'll be working all day and I'm working tonight. There were periods in wizard business where I used to sleep on the floor, just lay down on the floor, on the, on the the sleep there overnight, get up again five, six hours later That's and get in back the office. to work. Yeah. In the office, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, no issue. Um, and I did it for a long time. And uh, I thought that was normal. When I was growing up as a kid, my old man worked in the factory, my dad. He's still alive. Dad worked in the factory. He would start work in the morning factory, punch bowl behind our house, that factory right behind our house. He started at 7 in the morning. He finished in the 3 in the afternoon. He'd go straight from there to a, another job. He was a metal polishing, you know, like and he used to get dust all over. He'd go to a metal yep. polishing job from 3 to 4 or 5. He'd come home. Mum would go to the, work at the pub at the Three Swallows Hotel up there in um, Top of Yaguna, the banks down there. Um, Mum would come home and Dad would go and do the milk run midnight. Mm-hmm. And from the milk run, he'd go straight back to the, to the factory. Wow. And on Saturdays and Sundays, he was a fencer. So I, I thought that was normal. Yeah. And it's not normal. I, I've worked out it's not normal. So, Mark, yeah. let me ask you a question because I'm sure the people would like to What would you say if you're going to give a couple of tips, one, two or three tips, to the secret to being successful, not just to your success, but to the people out there being successful? Intensity. You must be intense in relation to the to the topic that, well, the subject thing you're doing, the, the thing you're doing. I don't give a shit with plumber, boxing, accountant, lawyer, doctor, whatever. You've got to be intense. You can't just turn up work and go, you've got to be intense. You've got to, be, you've got to know more about the topic than anybody else. Preparation. You've got to be prepared for everything you're doing. You've got to be on top of it. You've got to be prepared to sacrifice everything. If a success is to be measured by money I'm talking about, yeah. or in his case, to be the world champion, you've got to be prepared to be, you, you want to be number one. So you've got to be intense in everything you do. Every single thing you do and you've got to be talking about it all the time. You've seen James, when James is on, and what I mean, he's he's the best you'll ever find. He's the most intense person. People say he's a great salesman. No, he's the most intense person on his topic. It could be casinos or whatever it might be that I've ever met. Yeah. He knows every bit of information, data, etc. there is to know. Yeah. And then he puts it all together and then he drives it really, really hard for as long as he can. Which is probably the reason why the guy crashes from time to time. Yeah, and and it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. So intensity, but then have to be prepared. Have to have periods. Now I'm older. We say, okay, I'm going to stop for a bit here and gather my breath. Yeah. And and just recover a little bit. So intensity with some, you know, some ability to work out when you need to take a break. So and then finally patience. Don't think you're going to be the number one at anything or successful if that's where you want to be. Unless you're patient, just there's so many fucking steps. There's so many things you got to do. Intensity, ability to stop, step back, have a look, and then be and but then exercise patience. In other words, don't be in a hurry to get to where you want to get to. Intensity is different than being in a hurry. Yeah, totally different. And um, and like someone like Jeff was lucky because not lucky, but well, he was lucky to some extent because he had a certain ability that no one else had in 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 terms of his craft. And his ability to get fit was different to everybody else's. I mean, he can get fit faster than anybody I know. Like I, I don't, and and stay that way. I mean, he, he just has his genetic makeup that allows me to do it. So Jeff could, and Jeff at a very early age became the best, and and just kept staying there. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Remember, once you're there, you're to fucking stay there. That's, yeah. That's how I, try, I talk to people. You compare today's era with. Yesterday, and um, I was just going through some stuff over there. And but um, 
some of these guys today, they're world champ for eight months, 12 months, or they're world champion, but it's about longevity. It's, mm. it's, it's about being there. Like, well, I mean, I was, undefe- I was undefeated being a weight champion. I was undefeated junior featherweight champion. I was undefeated featherweight champion. So I'd really never lost any of my titles because I, I didn't want to. I mean, I worked every time. I, I, I learned one thing that it's harder to keep them than to, to get them. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, so I am. Um, yeah, you know, 100%. I, yeah, I Staying there is the hardest thing. Well, and yeah. sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for because once you're there, that's when the pressure starts. Yeah, Mark, it's yeah, funny. Okay. I, you, know, you, can, you can see there, but I, I cleaned all my, my some of my last few things that I have because I, I haven't kept a lot of my trophies and stuff. But I was just going through and I was polishing two things the other day and I can't wait to show after the show, but it was for Box of the Decade. you got to think of – Jeff Fennick won the box of the decade from 1980 to 1990 against the likes of Leonard Hearns, Hagler, Duran, Tyson. And I got my, my two awards up there and I was thinking the other day, wow. I was, it made me, it made me really proud. I think, wow, you know, and still, like I said, Australia don't even give me credit for it, but I'm, I just know that because I tell everybody, I don't care what anybody says about me or what anybody thinks. I know what I know and I know what I was capable of doing. And um, I just heard Tyson Fury the other day, they asked him a question and I love him because I just think he's a great fighter, but I, he just, this was the first time I've really heard him say that he would have beat Ali, would have beat Tyson. And, I, and for me, I could never say that. I could never say that about my peers that were, that, that were before me. I'd say I'd be competitive and I'd love to fight them and I'd do my best. But, um, yeah, I just think that, um, yeah, that uh, boxing today has changed and for me to, to win it in, in that era was uh, – a big thing, and I, like I said, I, I just kind of think that Australia has never really given me the credit that I deserve. And when I got on Celebrity Apprentice, I kind of felt a little different because Mark, yeah, just knew what I'd been through to, to achieve what I achieved. And I really, yeah, like I said, there was a, a special time for me. I'll never forget it, you know. Yeah, but, but that's the. I guess people don't realise. I mean, unless you've been in the ring, you're you're there on your own for a start. Yeah, I mean, just just to, just fight an amateur. Like that's hard enough. Yeah. But you can imagine fighting in the ring with someone who's like wants to be the world champion, wants to take something away from you. Yeah. Who's been training all their life for this. Yeah. And he's the best in the, you know, the best in that region, like, you know, best in the United States or the best in all of America, North and South mm-hmm. America. There's like four, four, 800 million people. Yeah. The best. Yeah. And you know that you're, you're fighting the best out of 800 million people. Well, this is not just beating the banks or This is like the best in the world. And yeah. then maintain that position. That's why I mean, I I don't understand it. I never did it, but I I, I feel it, and I wanted to be able to talk about it. That's important to me. You want to be able to talk about that stuff, and we don't talk about that sort of stuff in this country enough. Yeah, we don't we don't honour our heroes. It's nearly like oh, if someone's a hero, you can't talk about them because everybody's got to get a ribbon. And you know, and well, okay, I'm happy for everyone to get a ribbon. That's good. But equally, at the same time, I think we should be talking about our people who have done great things on a world stage. Yeah, we need to have more of that. Yes, and I, I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm going to walk away from it. Um, in fact, I want to prosecute it. I want to talk about it. Yeah, Mark, do you have the kind of message that they should be spreading at schools. I'm, I mean, yeah, letting people know how hard certain individuals work. What you've done to become where you are. What what Kerry done. What James has had to get. People think James had this. You know, Red Carver, his dad made him work his oh. ass off, you know, and was 
well, you know, the hardest, the hardest, brutalist boss ever. I mean, like I said, I woke up every morning, rain, hell, and shine, and ran. I ran with broken toes. I've had broken hands, broken stern. I mean, and I went through all that pain to to be. There. And I think that if we can get that message across to kids, I think the, the, the world and, and these kids will be better kids for it. Instead of forget about all this bullshit with it, this political stuff that the kids have got to listen to today. I mean, like I said, um, just just be real and and, and let the, let these guys know the real struggles that people had and um. I think, yeah, I think the world would be a much better place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, these days being an entrepreneur is seen as being cool and hip. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Not when I was. An instant millionaire and whatnot. And you've adopted the role as a, as a bit of a mentor with your, with the stuff you're doing, the podcast and the mentored um, program that you have. How did that come about and what sort of drives you to assume that position as as the mentor? A great friend of mine called Nick Fordham. Um his dad is a good friend of mine. He's passed away. But Nick Fordham mm. is, uh, said to me one day, he said, mate, let's do a podcast. This is before anyone else has done a podcast. Um, this is like uh, six years ago. And I, I used to listen to This American Life all the time on podcasts. And uh, so I, Johnny Bramone's a studio on top of up the King's Cross there, right? It was never, never anywhere. He built it for Kyle Sanderlands or something. And yes. They didn't use it. And it was yeah. so I, I rented it from him. And it was like 100 bucks or something like that. And it wasn't much money. And uh, – and I used to go, I used to go train down at Woolad PCYC. And then I'd come up there at 6 30, 7 o'clock after training with just my gym gear on, just looked like shit bag. And me and Nick used to just play around with it just for fun. Yeah. And we did it for about two years. And then it was called the Mark Burr Show. And it all of a sudden started to get a bit of traction and we started to work out which direction we wanted to go. And then um Triple M, uh, Southern Cross Austeria that owned the Triple M group, they're the big radio station. They rang me and said, look, we're launching a thing called Podcast One Australia. It's a platform for podcasts to go on. Um, would you lead it for us? Would you be the first podcast on it? And, I, and of course, we had to do a deal. I said, what's in it for me and all that sort of shit. Um, and we did a deal and and I, and I said, well, they said, let's change the name and that's where the name The Mentor came out. Um, we ch- that was about four years ago and it's a, yeah, it's a pretty good podcast. It goes okay. Yeah, it's great. Uh, in a business sense, it's a business yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, like I had Jeff and Brocky on there and I had Timmy Zhu. Tim yeah. I had uh, George Cambosis. I mean, I think I've had and I, Alex Volkanovsky who's fighting in on the 11th of July, believe it or not, yeah. to defend his world title. Um, I had a, a month of the business of boxing. I'm about saying, I want to say to everybody, everything in life is business to me. Everything we do, we're negotiating constantly. Yeah. Always we're negotiating. And business and negotiation, they're intertwined. We negotiate with our wife, our kids. I mean, when you talk to your children or your one day your grandchildren, even me, I've got a three-year-old grandson, I'm negotiating with him now. Like, and, uh, you know, and that, that art of uh, that subtle negotiation is just business. Yeah. And my show is about I don't care whether you're a politician, you're in the business of politics. So I've had Scott Morris on there twice. I've had uh, 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 Josh Frydenberg on there. And it's really fun. I like, I fucking love it. It's like the highlight of my week. It takes me one hour every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. I turn up dressed like this. I don't have to wear a suit or anything like that unless the PM's on there. I wear a shirt um, and just go through it. I mean, it's – and I love listening to podcasts. I listen to Standing Eight podcasts. So I think it's a great name by – it's a great name. Who came up with the name? I was a combination of, of Jeff and myself, so, yeah. Paul can take the credit. <laughs> it was a team effort. Yeah. But anyway, I just want to just say, Mark, this – it's been amazing having you here with us today. I can't thank you enough. Um, like I said, I know my friendship with you is going to grow and grow. I, yeah, I just want to just say um, for giving us this hour today. Thank you so much, Mark. I love you, Mark. Mark. You thank know you. That. I know that. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thanks, Mark. We really appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Enjoy, guys. Don't forget to subscribe, Standing 8 on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.